When we think about thankfulness, when we think about gratitude, when we think about thanksgiving, the way that we often determine our thankfulness, the way that we often determine gratitude, the, the strength of our gratitude or the level to which we are thankful is largely dependent upon our circumstances. It's largely dependent upon how we feel things are going. And our circumstances are really a perspective. They're a way that we see and perceive things to be. They're a way that we assess the situations in our life, and the way that we respond to these circumstances is telling both for uh, our hearts, where we stand in response to them. Last week, we said that thanksgiving is not just merely uh, an act, but it is a part of the heart. The motive of the heart is one of the most important things that we find in thanksgiving. We looked at a, a psalm last week in which David remarks that his desire to magnify the Lord with thanksgiving will please the Lord more than a sacrifice of bulls and goats. So it's not just the act, it's not just showing and going through the motions and, and, and doing what you're supposed to do. It's not just the manners that were instilled in you because this is how society operates. But the Bible tells us that thanksgiving is uh, primarily something that should flow from the heart. The motive of your heart is hugely important to the way that you are thankful. And so, when we look at our lives, when we consider the circumstance, the way that we give thanks and the timing in which we give thanks, we, it kind of comes down to perspective. And, and here's generally what our perspective looks like. We give thanks for good things that happen to us, right? There's things that you look at your life, you assess the things that you're going through, you assess the situations, you analyze what's happening, does this cause little to no stress? That's a good thing. Okay, I will give thanks for that. There's a, a natural kind of thanksgiving that we tend to, to uh, gravitate towards in good situations. Uh, these, bad, uh, these good things that happen to us because they feel positive. They, uh, on the whole, it seems like they are uh, pushing us towards our goals and, and what we're looking to achieve. And so we have a general thankfulness for these things. Now, in addition to that, we also give thanks for bad things that do not happen to us. This is the type of, of thanksgiving that would uh, be manifested when you feel like you avoided a bad situation. It's, you know, so it's still kind of a positive thing that you avoided. Uh, this is, you know, it would be something where you feel like, oh man, really dodged a bullet there. Whew, that was a close one. That could have been really bad. I could have, put in an, could have been put in an awkward situation or I could have had to deal with adversity or trials or trouble. 
And our general response to these things is usually thanksgiving uh, for the bad things that do not happen to us, where uh, they're things that we are able to avoid. Now, this is not a sustainable model. This is the way that the world operates, but it's not a sustainable model for thanksgiving because we live in a world with suffering and pain. We live in a world with difficulty. In fact, Jesus promised this to us in John 16, verse 33. Jesus says uh, to the disciples, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus promises that those who follow him are going to deal with difficulty. Those who walk with Christ, are going to deal with tribulations and trials and trouble. The Bible doesn't tell us anywhere, there's not one spot in the Bible that tells us that we are going to escape this world unscathed. Becoming a Christian and walking with the Lord is not uh, the ticket to the easy life. It's the ticket to the life of self-denial, taking up your cross and following Jesus. It's a ticket to walking with Christ through difficulty. The Bible doesn't tell us that we're going to make it through this world without any trials or tribulations. But it actually says that, that Christians, those who trust in Christ for salvation, who, who place their trust in him, that he is the one who will save them. He is the one who will rescue and redeem them. The Bible tells us that Christians ought to be better at dealing with difficult circumstances than any other group of people. Christians should be the ones who are able to suffer well, who are able to endure difficulty, who are able to make it through situations that we would uh, call bad better than any other group of people. Now, this isn't because we are a better people. This isn't because we're more disciplined. This isn't because we claim to be more educated or more spiritual. Uh, there, there's many other religions that, that kind of teach that you can, uh, you can make it through adversity by looking inward. And you can, uh, if you focus your, your mindset inward and you can deny yourself in, in kind of these ways, then you can be detached from the world and you can never be hurt. But the Bible doesn't tell us that that is the case, that that is how we should live our life. Christians are better at dealing with, and we should be better at dealing with, with difficulty and trials and tribulations. We should be better at dealing with suffering because we have a high priest in Jesus who has faced every circumstance that we would ever face. Jesus has stood in our place and dealt with every trial and temptation. He has dealt with every situation, every circumstance that we will face in the human experience. And we have the knowledge that God is sovereign over all. That means he rules and reigns over all things. And his perspective is perfect. You see, our perspective is skewed. We're acting on limited information, limited knowledge. We're making decisions not even half informed. 
we make our choices. You know, we like to think that we're really educated and we've read the latest self-help books and we've watched the latest seminars from uh, these motivational speakers who tell us how we ought to live our lives and do these things. But even being fully informed in our own minds still leaves us not even half informed in the mind of God. From his perspective, from where he sits and where he sees, uh, we don't even catch you know, half of that. From Scripture, we can see that frequency, the frequency and timing uh, in our thankfulness. We need to have God's perspective, His view, His mindset in our thanksgiving. And so we look at that this morning in the frequency and timing of our thanksgiving. If you flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we look at our first, verse, uh, first verses together. Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. He brings this exhortation to them in verse 16. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let me give that to you again. Verse 16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay? I want you to notice a couple things here. Look at the frequency on these three commands. Rejoice when? Always. All the time. Never stopping. Continually. Verse 17. Pray when? Without ceasing. Always. Continually. Verse 18. Give thanks when in all, in all circumstances, in all things. So if you ever want to know, what is the will of God for my life? Because we all want to know that, right? You know, you want, to, you want to go and type that into Google. What is the will of God for my life? It will tell you this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. These things here are characteristics of those who trust in Christ for salvation. So if you call yourself a Christian, these things should be practically a part of your everyday, moment-by-moment -moment routine. This doesn't mean that you're in a prayer meeting uh, with a bunch of people, so you have to get rid of all your circumstances or all your situations and responsibilities. This means you live in communion with the Lord in prayer. It means that you're having joy in Christ and not in the circumstances of life and the things of the world. And when you have joy in Christ, when you're rejoicing always, when you are making Jesus your ultimate joy and treasure, and when you're in communion with him because he's your ultimate joy and treasure, when you're praying without ceasing because Jesus is so awesome and amazing and you want to talk to him all the time, then it ends up leading you to giving thanks in all circumstances. 
Because you're just pumped to talk to Jesus, to know him, to enjoy him. So notice here that, that this doesn't tell us that we should give thanks when we really feel like it. Because that's the American way. <laughs> I don't feel like going to the gym. I don't feel like, you know, like we have, like that's our, our kind of practical, what do we want to do? But the life of a Christian is one of self-denial. So it doesn't really matter if you feel like it. You're denying yourself. We're selfish people, so we don't really often feel like giving things. You pretty much, you know, you're conditioned to be thankful because society says that's polite. Society's not acting in response to God. It's polite. There's, uh, they're looking to get something from their thankfulness, thanksgiving. So this doesn't say that we should give thanks just when we feel like it but that we ought to give thanks in all things. Paul goes on in Colossians chapter 3, if you want to flip over there. This is what he says in verse 17. I love how he just encompasses this too. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever it is that you set your mind to do, whatever it is that you go out to do, whether it's in word, whether you're saying it, whether you're planning to do it, whether you're executing it, whether it's in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. So that is not uh, a person-centric motivation. Don't do it for your purposes, for your glory, for your gain. But do it in the name of the Lord. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul tells us that whatever we do, whatever you do, Wherever you're at, whether it is the uh, exceptional or the mundane, if you are a student, be the best student and for God's glory. Not for your own motive, but for how God will be glorified through your life. If you're folding your laundry... You better be the best laundry folder ever for God's glory. Because in that, you're working and showing your faithfulness. You're imaging God and His character. God is a planning God. He's an organizing God, so He's organized. And he's a planner. So when you fold your laundry, you're organizing and planning. You're making geometric shapes that he created. God is in the every day. The exceptional and the mundane, he is there in every moment. So you can give thanks to him in whatever you do. 
in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, let's just be realistic here, though, because all circumstances definitely don't feel the same. And we need to know, how do we respond in thanksgiving when we are suffering, when we're dealing with difficulty and trials? So, we want to look at a couple different responses. Here's how the world responds, and because we are broken sinners, here's how we're often tempted to respond. So I'm going to give you uh, four different ways that the world responds to suffering and difficulty, even Christians. And here's how we ought to respond. First one that we want to look at uh, the world responds to or that we are tempted to respond in to difficulty, suffering, trials, tribulation, bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness comes about when our hearts are disappointed. When we are a people who are disappointed, we tend to get bitter. If it happens enough, we tend to get bitter. Our expectations are not met. We have a certain expectation. We demand uh, something. There's a, a, a certain level of entitlement. We feel like we deserve something. And when we don't get what we feel like we deserve, when, when we are disappointed, when our expectations are not met, we get bitter we tend to blame God and wonder, God, what are you doing? You don't seem to be on the same page with me. And here's what I was wanting. Here's what I was, was expecting. Here's what my dream is. But yet you're not meeting uh, that need. And, and when we operate in that place of bitterness, when we operate in a place where we are blaming God, what we're doing, Romans tells us, is that we are putting ourselves in the place of God and that we are acting, uh, we are trying to, to say that we are the creator. The creation is trying to overtake the creator. We are acting and, and putting ourselves on the throne. We are putting ourselves in a place and saying, we really know what's best. God doesn't really know what's best. And I cannot believe that he would let these things happen or, or not give me what I want. But the Bible tells us that we ought to recognize that God is the creator. He is the creation. If you flip over uh, to Romans 1, we looked at this uh, briefly last week. But here's what he says is the result of us recognizing that God is the creator. Romans 1, we'll start in uh, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, this is speaking to people, they did not honor him as God 
or give thanks to him. So the result there of recognizing that God is our creator, the result of recognizing that God is our provider is thankfulness. It's thanksgiving. But if we do not recognize that God is our creator, if we do not say that he is our provider, he's the one who meets our needs, we put ourselves in the place of God. Verse 22 says that claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, exalting creation over the creator. Now, here's what you need to understand, because this is probably a big one for a lot of people. You have these hopes, these dreams, these desires that you want to see happen in your life. Things that you've, and they could be very well uh, good desires. And when we bring these things to the Lord as Christians, when we pray for him to do something in our lives and he doesn't meet the need that we want him to meet, we need to understand that God is our provider and he knows what you're asking for. You have expectations. You have uh, something that you're looking for. You're asking him for something, let's say. Because we all do that. We all ask him for specific things. But God does not always uh, give us what we want, but what we need. God is so gracious and merciful that he doesn't give us what will destroy us, but he ultimately gives us what we are after. His response to our prayers when we're asking him for things, for things that we expect, it doesn't always show up, it doesn't always manifest itself in a way that we would want. But God knows our hearts and he knows the source of our requests. And he acts to meet that real world need. And so someone might be requesting uh, a specific thing. You know, there's lots of people who uh, use God in a sense kind of as a genie. They kind of like, you know, they want something from him. They want to have a, uh, they want to get rich. They want to have a flashy car. They want to, they want to live this specific life. They are, they are asking him for, um, you know, a spouse. They're asking him for uh, just a number of things. But you see, God doesn't just think about that and give us exactly what we want because we're thinking that we think that this thing is going to satisfy us. We think that thing is going to meet our our greatest need, our desire. So if you are asking God for a bunch of money because you think that that is going to provide you security, God probably is going to say no to this money because you're not asking it for the right reasons. But he knows that your heart is longing for some sense of security. So he's going to go into your heart and bring things into your life to meet that need. The source of that request is security. You're looking for security. You're looking for 
Or maybe you're looking for identity. You want to have a lot of money because you want to be known. So he's going to say, I'm going to give you an identity that you really need. I need to show you the the depth of the identity that you can have in Christ. I need to show you the security that you can have in Jesus. So when, when God brings us into these situations where he doesn't meet our need, we think he's not meeting our need, but he's actually giving us more than we've ever asked for. We, we ask him, you know, sometimes we feel like we ask him for big things. Like, oh, I'm asking, this is a big request. But usually it's we haven't gone far enough. You're asking for something that, that will be destroyed. If a flood comes, if your house burns down, it will be destroyed. But the Lord knows he wants to give you more than that. He wants to give you something that is ultimately going to satisfy The second way that we often respond uh, through difficulty and suffering, trials, tribulations, is worry, right? Everyone guilty, worry. This is just plain and simple, a situation where we have trouble trusting God. And then what happens? Like, okay, here's like, you know, the, the, this is the common like movie scene, like some, some guy has this difficulty, gets worried, and then he like hits the bar, right? Boom, go find someone to talk to. Drink your sorrows away. <laughs> that's that's kind of like the classic situation. The Bible tells us that the response is not to be worried, but to have understanding. The Bible tells us that we should have understanding, and in understanding we will have thanksgiving. Ephesians 5, flip over there, verse 17. And it even throws in like, hey, don't get drunk either. Because when you're worried, you know that's what happens. You want to get drunk so you forget your worries. You want to drink your sorrows away. So Paul even throws it in there for us, just to be nice. Ephesians 5, 17. <clears throat> Paul writes, therefore do not be foolish, right? Because that's what happens when you get worried. You start doing foolish stuff. But understand what the will of the Lord is. So what he's saying is, your perspective is probably wrong. Don't be worried. Have God's perspective. What is God doing here? How is he working? What, in what way is he operating in your life? So don't be worried. Don't be uh, focused on your perspective. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And because we need to know what it means to be foolish, he says, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is uh, debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So understanding the will of the Lord, you can't do that without being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're drunk, you're not going to understand the will of the Lord. So if you are dealing with difficulty circumstances that, are, that feel overwhelming, Paul tells us straight up, don't worry. Seek understanding. Seek to know God's perspective, the will of the Lord. He gives us the side note, don't get drunk, because that's not helping anybody, and it's hard to understand the will of the Lord when you're tipsy. Uh, but you ought to 
be filled with the Spirit. Because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God, and He reveals to us all truth. He leads us into truth. He leads us to Jesus. And then He says, here's what you also ought to do. You should be in community. And not just like hanging out with people, but you should be in community, getting down in worship and thanksgiving. This is what it says, verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20, giving thanks always, here it is again, always, not when you feel like it, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the solution isn't drink your sorrows away, but press into the Lord. Understand the will of the Lord. Know Him. Enjoy Jesus. The third thing that we face, anxiety. All right, when you're dealing with difficulties, stresses, trials, tribulations, suffering, anxiety is upon you. Our thoughts trail off. Worry turns into anxiety. And Paul understands that anxious thoughts, they begin to compound. They, they naturally multiply in times of trouble, in times of difficulty. So he tells us in Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, here it is again, in everything, he's consistent, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So anxiety is beaten back by thanksgiving. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When we continually focus on praying with thanksgiving to God in everything, we begin to break this habit of anxiety, of worry. When we bring our thoughts to the Lord in prayer, when we begin to thank Him, then it turns our hearts from a position of worry, from a position of anxiety, to a position of recognizing how faithful and good God is, how He is our provider. Fourth thing. Fourth response is fear. Fear. Colossians 3, verse 15. Paul writes, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It seems like he's giving out the same prescription a lot, right? He's like, here it is. You got problems, you got drama, dealing with difficult situations, conflicts, suffering, trials, tribulations. Someone unliked your Facebook post. You know, you're like all emo about it. Paul's like, here's the answer. Instead of being in a place where you are <clears throat> bitter, 
Instead of being a place where you are worrying, instead of dealing with anxiety, instead of fearing the worst, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. See, the peace of Christ can rule in our hearts when we're remembering that we have been saved by Christ, when we're remembering that he has redeemed us and rescued us, when our identities don't have to be found in our circumstances and our situations, when we are a people who are thankful, that thankfulness is expressed in community. It's expressed, as he tells us, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And when we're a thankful people, the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. So Paul tells us that in response to being filled with the word of God, teaching, admonishing, singing are the result. But it's not just like, hey, just teach, admonish, sing, whatever. He says, the motive for these things is with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what governs that thanksgiving. or that, that, That's what governs this teaching, admonishing, singing, thankfulness. And so those are the four kind of general ways that we respond. Bitterness, worry, anxiety, and fear. To wrap it up, I want to give you two ways that we're able to deal with our difficulty. Because we kind of saw how we respond and how, how we ought to respond But here's two things that being thankful in all circumstances, uh, two two ways that being thankful in all circumstances uh, benefits us or or things that happen as a result of our our thanksgiving. Because suffering in thanksgiving, or suffering in difficulty, it's no fun, right? It's it's not not great. (laughs) But we can be thankful in the midst of suffering because our difficulty that we go through is meant to grow our faith. So the first thing is that trials, difficulty, and suffering, it it grows our faith. It's not suffering with no purpose, but it's to refine us. That's what James tells us, count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of of your faith produces patience. That there's a, a, a good result. In 2 Corinthians four sixteen, 16, uh, Paul writes this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Because that's what it feels like when you're going through like, a difficult situation, right? Like, dang, I feel like I'm wasting away. Our inner self, he tells us, is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So God is working in difficulty and circumstances in your life and in my life that we do not see because we don't have a good perspective. Remember, it's God's sovereignty, it's his perspective by which these things are meant for more than we realize. 
They are growing our faith, and they are, we saw last week in Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is a tool uh, that God uses to help more people meet Jesus. When we're thankful in front of the nations, it reflects on who God is, right? Let me give you an example. There was a man in the Bible named Daniel. His, he was a man who was faithful in the midst of trials. He was in the faithful in the midst of suffering. Uh, to kind of give you the, the short story, this man was a man who knew God. You can read about it uh, in Daniel chapter 6. And he was known as a Christian in a very uh, paganistic society. And every day he would go to his window, and, or he would go and he would pray in full view of the city, and people knew his situation, he knew his character, he was a man who was upright, righteous, and loves God. And Daniel, uh, because he loved God and because he had so much favor, these other uh, leaders who were in the city who hated him and did not want him to prosper, uh, they had it out for him, and so they tricked uh, the king at the time into signing a document that would make it illegal that would make it illegal for Daniel to continue his routine of prayer. And the penalty is death. So here's what Daniel does when he hears about this document getting signed. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem, just like he always does. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You see, Daniel wasn't swayed by the circumstances. He didn't really care. He's like, look, everything's the same for me. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. He, he continues to give thanksgiving he continues to be a thankful man. He continues to develop his relationship with Jesus in the midst of these difficulties. He doesn't let his circumstances change how he responds. He doesn't give in to pressure. And of course, you guys know the story as a result. Uh, they see him, and because this king finds out that he's kind of been tricked, then Daniel has to get thrown into the lion's den, and, uh, you know, so he'll be eaten, and they cover it up, and, and Daniel tells the king, you know, like, you know, I know that the Lord will, has me in his hands, and he will protect me. And uh, after a couple, after spending the night in the lion's den, uh, he, they open it up the next morning, the king comes out to see if Daniel's still alive, and, you know, Daniel's there, and Daniel says, Heck yeah, the Lord shut the lion's mouths, and I'm fine, so let me out. And then the other guys who tried to trick him get thrown in there, and they get killed, like, and their bones crushed before they even touch the ground. So that's pretty gnarly. <laughs> but here's what happens as a result. In this paganistic culture, the king, who is the ruler of the world at the time, says this in Daniel 6, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. He says this, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. 
Isn't that gnarly? Isn't that so radical? Because Daniel was the same, because Daniel continued to give thanksgiving in the midst of difficult circumstances, because he wasn't acting in fear, worry, anxiety, because he didn't give in to these things, he had to go into greater difficulty, right? This didn't happen as the, as the result, like, oh, thanks for praying, Daniel, we'll make this announcement. It got worse before it got better, but, the, but Daniel continued to press into the Lord. And as a result, the gospel like goes out, and everyone's like, Daniel's God is like the one true living God, you know, and he's like, he rescues and saves, like, boom, there's the gospel. He rescues and saves right there. So, when we face difficulties and trials, when we face suffering, know that your perspective probably isn't the right perspective. God is doing a work in your life. So you can continue to give thanksgiving. You can be, continue to be thankful. Because the suffering, the difficulty that you're going, to, going through is for your growth. It's redemptive. Second thing, we'll wrap up here. Our suffering, the difficulties that we go through, end with the guarantee of our glorification. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. So that's the process of salvation there. And those who he justified, he also glorified. So what he's saying here is he's writing in this past tense that, that we're already glorified but we're still here and we're clearly not glorified because we have these lame bodies i can't jump you know off a building and do cool flips and stuff uh we have we have these you know i don't have this glorified awesome body like jesus where we could walk through a wall be awesome however he speaks about this in past tense saying that we're already glorified and what paul's getting at here is that the difficulties that we face the, going through these seasons of trial and tribulation, because we belong to him and because he works out these situations together for good, they're working together for our glorification. He speaks in, in, in this past tense uh, term because it's guaranteed that this is going to happen. We're not yet glorified, but it's so uh, guaranteed that he can talk about it in the past tense as if it's already happened. And so we are being sanctified with the guarantee of being glorified as we make it through difficulty. Now, this isn't, um, I want you to understand here, when we talk about this verse, we know that all things, or we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This doesn't mean that, that bad things turn into good things. What happened as bad turns into a good thing. 
Like a bad thing is still bad. But God uses and he works in that situation to make and create good. So the bad thing is still bad. Uh, The good is what God will do in that situation as we submit to his perspective, his sovereignty, what he's doing. Let me give you one last uh, example, and then we will pray together. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, Joseph is dealing with his brothers. Joseph is the second highest ruler in the land of Egypt, and his brothers have come to him for food. And if you recall earlier in Joseph's life, his brothers, because they were annoyed with him and because he was uh, the uh, kind of favorite son, they took him and they threw him into a pit and then they sold him into slavery, right? So pretty much uh, there's never a time when slavery is good. So slavery always bad. It, it never turns good. There's never a point where slavery is good. So we can't say that, that oh, Slavery is good because God used it. God worked in spite of that that slavery. God said, I'm going to take something and use it for my glory. Something bad happened, but that is not enough to prevent the goodness of God and his hand working. Daniel had, or excuse me, Joseph had to go through many years of suffering. But as a result of his uh, perseverance through this difficulties and trials and suffering, salvation is brought to many. Here's what, here's what the exchange is said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, where, where Joseph is speaking to his brothers because they're worried that he's going to just like blow up on them and go nuts. Joseph says to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? That is a man who understands that he, God is doing something. He's not God. He gets it. That God has been faithful to him. He has had the right perspective. And here's the perspective he tells us that he's had in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, Joseph understood that he needed to stick with God's perspective and not his own. It's easy to get down in the dumps. It's easy to give in to worry and fear. It's easy to give, to give in to anxiety and be controlled by bitterness. For the time that Joseph was falsely accused, was in jail. I'm sure he was beaten. For all the things that he went through, He comes out on the other side, not blaming God, but trusting in the God who saves, who rescues and redeems. God is in the business of taking a bad situation and making it perfect. He rescues and saves. It's the story of the gospel. So when you and I deal with difficulty... In, situ- in situations that we don't like, when we deal with circumstances that are beyond our control and that we're frustrated with, we need to remember Jesus was the one who dealt with that at the greatest level. He didn't deserve to be in any of those situations. He didn't deserve to be in those circumstances, but yet went willingly into that 
so that we could be rescued, so that we could be saved. And because we have a high priest who has been tempted in all places, who has dealt with every situation that we would face, as we go through our seasons of suffering, he's there to walk beside us, to remind us how we can be thankful, to show us of what we should be thankful for. And so let's make it our purpose as we learn and grow together to be thankful in all circumstances, in all things. To have a perspective that it's outside of being thankful for things that only serve us in the most visible, immediate way. But have a bigger picture of how is God using these things in my life for his glory. So let's pray together and we'll respond in thanksgiving through worship. Lord, we're thankful for your loving kindness towards us. We're thankful for your faithfulness. And we pray that you would create in us a heart of thanksgiving uh, that is thankful often. Lord, our frequency and our timing. Lord, we want to be a people who are able to give thanks in all circumstances, in everything, in prayer. We want to rejoice always. We want to pray without ceasing. But, Lord, we recognize that it is so, so hard because we're selfish, we're sinful. Oftentimes, other things uh, seem more important. But, Lord, may you remind us of the importance and beauty of Jesus so that we would not forsake uh, just the wonderful gift that you've given us in your Son, but that we would respond uh, in thanksgiving, in worship. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified as your church responds in worship now. We love you. Amen.